If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It's Saturday, February 29th, 2020, and time for the next episode of Views from the Military Mind. News from the past week as viewed through the lens of a military mind. Let's move out. In our first segment today, we're going to take a look at something coming out of the state of Alabama. Uh, A state senator there seems to be offended by the military. We'll take a look and see what she has to say and why she is so offended by the military. We'll also take a look at... U.S. House Resolution Number 1, originally filed in 2019 uh, in the 115th session. And we'll see what they're talking about in the 116th session that just started this year and uh, see what uh, is coming up with House Resolution Number 1. In the third third segment, we'll take a look at the border wall and see what the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals is doing there in California to make things tougher again on the border wall for President Trump and uh, all of the Customs and Border Patrol and see whether or not it's actually a draining suck of this as it takes some of the funds from the Department of Defense and the Pentagon uh, to help pay for the build the buildup of that wall. In the fourth second segment, we're going to take a look at the Peach Treaty and what's inside of it and what President Trump says about it and what the the requirements are for the Taliban for us to uh, make a withdrawal coming out of there. I look forward to this and see our uh, brothers and sisters in the military come home. Uh, we've been there for a long time and it's time to put an end to it. In segment four, we're going to take a look at election 2020 and talk about some of the candidates that are there and what they have going on. we got Super Tuesday coming up here in just a few days. We need to get ourselves prepared for that. And, of course, towards the end of the show, I'll have my closing thoughts and comments about uh, the events over the past week. Uh, if you'd like to leave your comments for us, you can go on our Facebook page, View from Military Mind, uh, or you can go to our webpage, View from, View from Military Mind.com. It's going to be one of those days. Uh, you can also send us an email, VFAMM2020 at gmail.com, VFAMM2020 at gmail.com. And leave your comments on there. And we'll be more than happy to uh, respond to them. And if you'd ever like to be a a guest on our show, by all means, leave comments there and we'll bring you on. We'll be back after this short break. I was in the hospital with my son for 18 months. When he got injured, I wasn't prepared, but I knew I had to be strong. When I was told about John's injury, I was in complete shock. I just remember rushing into his room and giving him a big hug and letting him know I was there. These veterans and families are just a few of the heroes we serve at Homes for Our Troops. For thousands of severely injured veterans, everyday life is filled with barriers. But really the, the little things around the house. 
corners that you can't roll up to. I gotta drag my wheelchair down steps. I wanna help, but he is so determined. At Homes for Our Troops, we build specially adapted custom homes with features like wheelchair access, roll-in showers, and automatic door openers that allow them to function independently and focus on their recovery and family. This house is freedom. There's hope. It's a new beginning. This house has given me my family back. To learn more, visit hfotusa.org. Welcome back. Now going to segment one here. We're going to talk about uh, the state of Alabama. There's a Democratic state senator that says she is very offended by our military. I'll give you a little idea of what's going on. Uh, this past Tuesday down in Montgomery, uh, the state capital of Alabama, that during debate on the Alabama Senate floor on Tuesday evening, uh, State Senator Vivian Davis Figures, D. Mobile, expressed her frustration to the United States military. Uh, at the time, the Senate was considering a package of bills related to making Alabama, as Lieutenant Governor Will Ainsworth has uh, declared his goal as his goal, the most military-friendly in the country. Uh, however, figures at the end of the legislative uh, uh, or military friendliness day did not seem to be feeling the love. There were two specific bills that drew ire from the Democratic side of the House, not just figures individually related to education. Uh, the first Senate bill, 106, by State Senator Will Barfoot, uh, Republican out of Pike Road, would authorize the formation of public charter schools on or within one mile of military installations with a focus on serving military and certain Department of Defense dependents. Um, the bill was amended, uh, as amended, was ultimately passed by the Senate on a 26-3 uh, vote after it was initially carried over due to being slowed down by Senate Democrats on the floor. Uh, of course, figures uh, voted against that bill. Now, it gets really, really strange. Um, Barfoot on the floor in a brief remarks to uh, news outlets around the area after the Senate adjourned uh, later in the evening explains that the, the genesis of his bill is tied to comments made in recent years by U.S. Air Force Lieutenant General Anthony Cotton, who was at the time commander of, air, of the Air University at Maxwell Air Force Base in Montgomery. Uh, Montgomery Public Schools has been taken over by the state via an intervention as a failing system and military families are very much affected by the quality of that system. All right. So Barfoot also added that a lack in availability of quality, affordable education is a basic issue that base realignment and closure commissions look at when evaluating facilities. So, of course, we want to make sure our stuff is good uh, to keep from closing these bases up. And we all know the impact there. When you close a base, people lose work. Now, with all that in mind, another related bill, uh, forwarded followed the passage of Senate Bill 106 on the Senate floor, and again, this is in the state of Alabama, uh, Senate Bill 143 by uh, State Senator Donnie Chastine, uh, Republican out of Geneva. And it would provide that for the purposes of enrolling in and attending a virtual school operating in Alabama, the dependence of a military, or excuse me, the dependence of a member of the U.S. Armed Forces shall be considered residents of the state upon the respective member receiving orders to relocate to the state. It is understandable you're moving here, you're going to be living here. Uh, under existing law, local boards of education are already required to provide a virtual education option for eligible students in grades 9 through 12. Essentially, this bill would just ex expedite the process by which military dependents 
could enroll in these existing uh, virtual school schools after their family was uh, ordered to relocate to Alabama for military duty. Uh, figures initially delayed the passage of this legislation, causing it to be carried over. However, at the end of the legislative day, the bill was brought back up. She remarked that the only reason she was not continuing to slow it down was because of her respect for Chastine. Hmm. Nevertheless, figures then turned her attention to the base of the bills, that military dependents need better education options in Alabama. This is where she made her statement, I am very offended by the military. She expressed that she was insulted that the BRAC military leadership would believe there are Alabama public schools not good enough for military dependents. Figures further lamented that in her view, the military thinks their dependents are too good to go to school with civilian children at Alabama public schools. After that, she voted in favor of uh, Senate Bill 143, uh, and that bill passed 30 to 0. Both 106 and 143 now head to the House for their first reading to get passed through. Um, later on in interviews with, o with other news agencies, figures affirmed her comments. This is what really gets me here. She says, I really think I said all I needed to say at the microphone about the passage of these bills or the in introduction of those bills that made it perfectly clear that our public school's education is not good enough. So rather than pay us the price to establish charter schools just for them, that is a federal level of government, the armed forces. So if that's the way they feel, why don't they build their own school without continuing to further deplete the Education Trust Fund of Alabama, which is supposed to be intended for public schools? And it should be noted, further noted that charter schools are public schools. Virtual school programs related to Senate Bill 143 are also governed by public school system. Now, this senator is the same one that had, uh, when they put through, uh, I think it was, uh, it was last year, House Bill 238. It was a, pro a proposed Alabama law from one of her Democratic colleagues, uh, Democratic Representative Rolanda Hollins, where they were going to require all men over the age of 50 or after their third child, mandatory to have a vasectomy. Okay. <laughs> this dingling comes around, this senator figures, and says, oh, no, oh, no. I, my proposed amendment to this bill is to make a, vas a vasectomy a, uh, a felony, make it illegal to have that vasectomy. Here, it, she makes no sense in the things that she does. Um of course, we know that you know forced sterilization is unconstitutional, so they can't do that. That bill never did pass, never did go through. Uh, it was in response to um, a House bill uh, at that time called the Human Life Protection Act, which made it a Class A felony for anyone to perform an abortion except when the woman's health is at risk. And we know that did go through, and that's kind of held up right now in the courts and uh, in the Senate. But this particular lady has a history of nutcase jobs. She actually sits on the um, education board uh, here in the state of Alabama. Uh, she's a member of, uh, she's the chairwoman of the Education and Mobile County Le uh, Local Legislation Committee. 
So she's had her hands in this educational system, and if this educational system is being identified, I mean, interventions have already been applied by the state. Montgomery schools have been taken over. Okay, the state has to run them because they obviously can't run them themselves, which means there's poor educational. It's understandable why the military is saying, yeah, you need to do better than this or we're going to go do something else. Um, so, I mean, she's she makes ludicrous comments like this. Well, okay, you're offended by the military. If they pull out of there, you're going to be even more offended. So you kind of need to get your head out of your fifth point of contact and quit doing dumb things. Get your schools straightened up and take care of when take care of the children. When you, of course, when you take care of the military children, you're going to take care of the children in the state of Alabama. That's going to have a longer effect down the road. Uh, you're going to affect more people other than just the military people. Because in all reality, military dependents. Three years on average, sometimes a little longer. They come in, get their education, they're gone. Alabama students are going to be here for their entire school life for the most part. So instead of making dumb comments like that you're offended by the military because they told you the truth, how about using your uh, this highly educated brain that you claim to have and your documents show and make something out of the educational system? You know, Miss Figures, I try to have respect for people, but when you do dumb things like this, I mean, that's all. That's the only thing I can call it is dumb, just dumb. Okay, um, almost want to say that you're a product of the educational system. So how about let's improve that educational system and get that taken care of. All right, and enough on that one because I can go on and go on over people saying dumb things. And that's one of them. But that's just out of the state of Alabama. It, it was one of those intriguing things. Of course, I live in the state of Alabama, so it, it, it means a lot to me about it. But I want my politicians, whether they be Democrat or Republican, to be smart about what they say and about what they're doing. And she obviously doesn't have any control of her dumb comments. So after the break, we'll come back. We're going to talk about a House resolution and the 116th Congress. So hang tight, stand by with us, and we'll talk to you in just a short. If you served honorably in our nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS. Each year, AMVETS members volunteer millions of hours at VA health care facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVETS posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today at AMVETS.org. All right, we're back with it. And to our second segment here this is about an old news item for house resolution number one which was originally proposed back in 2019 when uh, the 115th congressional congress or congressional session uh, initiated um it's called the for the people act uh, basically it revises <clears throat> our um voting rights and uh, election processes, things of that nature. Um, 
it, it was riding a, a wave of outrage at corrupt presidents and all this, you know, who abused his power. You know, that's what the Democrats were saying at the time. Uh, their charge is they're going to clean up Washington. You know, Congress, you know, wants to experience a transformation. A new class of representatives was coming in with a far more diverse campaign on promises of reform and entrenched rules that stack the deck against their constituents back home. Um, many of them sent a letter to their future colleagues urging political reform. So they bring into this when they when the Democrats took back control of the U.S. House of Representatives um, in 2019. <coughs> Their first item of business was a robust democracy reform package that aims to give everyday people a bigger voice in politics and create a more ethical and count uh, accountable government. Um, the For the People Act, or House Resolution 1, <coughs> represents the first time in a very long time that Congress was prioritizing democracy reform legislation. And as other commenters, uh, commentators at the time have noted, the bill number itself was significant. By custom, the first 10 bill numbers were reserved for the most important priorities of the House majority. Um, this was the first priority of the incoming Democratic Party at that time uh, in the House of Representatives. Now, it says the bill is multifaceted, addressing voting rights, campaign finance, redistricting, government transparency, uh, and uh, ethics. Now, I can get into uh, the whole House Resolution Number One, what it had in it at that point in time. Um, th the reason I bring it up now, there's three things that have come out recently uh, in the past week in news, and that's pushing again to support illegal immigrant voting in, in local elections, and voting for minors. And minors, I mean anyone under the age of 18, and the right to vote for fel felons who have gotten out of jail now the big thing with the the felons uh, being allowed to vote i have no problem with them voting that's great they've served their time but finish your commitment uh, finish your your financial responsibility uh, in that conviction uh, and that's the big stickler for the democrats they're they're saying no as soon as they're released we want them to start voting okay great their sentence is not done yet. And the whole idea behind it was there to be complete free men, free women again with no uh, outstanding requirements for completion of their sentence. So we need to fix that. Uh, we need to get on board. And of course that's one of those things in that bill and it is a rather extensive bill uh, <coughs> to allow convicted felons to vote after they've uh, done their time and uh, has been released from jail. Uh, but then there's in there that the for the um, voting of minors, for minors to register to vote, at the age of 16, they'll be allowed to register. <clears throat> now, we know that they cannot vote in a federal election, and that's, that's just federal law. There's nothing they can do to change that except go back in there and propose an amendment to our Constitution and uh, to the, uh, the different amendments, change those around where they can vote at 16. 
I do not agree with that. Uh, a 16-year-old, I know what I was like, a 16-year-old. I had other things on my mind other than election. Uh, and when we took election, uh, took elections in school, when we learned about it in school, how to elect our uh, representatives and stuff, I paid attention to it for the 30 minutes I was in class, and then that was the end of that. Uh, didn't pay any more attention to it until I became of legal voting age at the age of 18 and started paying more attention of, to it. Um, a 16-year-old does not have, uh, for the most part, uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying there's not some out there that couldn't uh, make a, a good judgment call on electing an official, but for the most part, most 16-year-olds could care less about politics. They're not a Greta Thunberg. I'm not going to get into that, but that's a, a good correlation. <coughs> or some of the other political activists out there, although they should be. They, sh they should be learning about how our government works and how our electorate works and the electoral college and how the whole process is. I think they should be learning that and they should be practicing that, but not in a live way of actually selecting our federal representatives and uh, our president, things of that nature. Uh, they need, still need to be kids. They still need to be learning. So let's not put that kind of pressure on them. Um, but it doesn't restrict the states. Uh, reading through the bill, which I said is very extensive, it's 107 pages. Um, it doesn't take away from the states their laws. Um, as far as who can register to vote. So it, it's kind of, I'm, I'm assuming that's why it hasn't passed out of the House to the Senate. I think it's gone to the Senate, but it's just kind of sitting there. Uh, they're not doing anything with it because there's going to have to be some changes in that in reference to that. And it also gets into um, into no requirement to verify the citizenship. Okay, now you no longer have, want us to be required to verify that we're a U.S. citizen to vote, but they lay that on us on the states. Um, again, it's a requirement in federal elections. You must, you must be a U.S. citizen. So they're taking the requirement away from the states, which California loves that, some of your sanctuaries, things of that nature, nature so illegal aliens can vote. Absolutely ludicrous. So those, thing, those three things have reared their ugly head. That's the reason I brought up HR1. That's where this all started with. Um, it, it makes some of these House resolutions that come up, they call it a Voter Registration Modernization Act. And, and like we mentioned earlier, you know, all this stuff came out in 2019 when they were trying to push things through. It's reared its ugly head now with our presidential election coming in. They need to rethink all this. Um, we do not need illegal aliens coming in here and voting. Um, they're, they're not citizens. Sorry, I don't care how you cut it up, how you spin it, how you twist it, how you turn it around. No, you cannot vote. You are here, here illegally. You've broken our laws, you've violated our laws, federal, state, whatever you want to toss in there. No. And there should be nobody in our country trying to help them do that. Now you're an accessory to the fact of a felon, 
of somebody breaking a U.S. law. So maybe you need to go to jail with them, okay? Deport the illegal alien back to where they came from, okay? Come to the United States the right way. And then the person that tried to help them commit the illegal act, how about your butt going to jail and you sit there for a while? Think about what you did. Most of them probably radical about it, but that's the whole thing. You've committed an illegal act. You're accessory to the fact. <coughs> Again, as far as, as children voting, let's keep it at 18. Uh, if you want to help out there, at 18, I can vote. I can go to war. I can sign up to be in the military, and I can die for my country at 18. Either make everything legal for an 18-year-old or move everything up. Let's stop at this split when it comes to our kids. Um, I know when I was 18 years old, I was proud as all get out. I was in the military. I was going to a, a base, but I couldn't buy my smokes at the time. I, I, I couldn't buy liquor at the time. Couldn't do a lot of things. That had to wait till I was 21. Three years later, let's get some, let's get some parity in here. If you're going to do something like that, bring it illegal across the board at one age. 16 does not need to be voting. Okay. If you want to register them, that's great. That's a way to see what our voting base is going to be like, you know, in two years. So that gives us an idea. That's great. <clears throat> but let's not allow them to start voting yet. They're not ready for it. As far as our convicted felons, I think it's an outstanding idea to let to allow them to vote again. They've served their time. They've met their commitment. But make sure they meet all of their commitment, their financial and their obligatory sentence. Meet all of it. Because if you don't meet the, the financial is a big part of it. You're reimbursing victims of their crimes. <clears throat> You're reimbursing the state and federal courts for what they've done, those fines. That's part of their punishment. Complete what they've been what they've been assigned. Don't hand them a, a freebie just because they managed to survive for however long they were in jail. Okay, that's not the idea behind it. They've got to finish the reparations. All right. So, moving on with it, House Resolution Number One still out there, still raising its head, <coughs> still hasn't quite uh, been resolved. But you get a chance to one of my recommendations. By all means, when you hear about these resolutions, go out there and find them. Uh, I mean, everybody has at some point or another web access. You can go on the .gov um, under the House or under the Senate or whatever. You can find these um, under the, uh, uh, the government sites. You can find these resolutions, and you can read them in their entirety. Be informed. I don't care whether you're blue or you're red or you're pink or you're green, left, right, center, independent, Democrat, Republican. Be informed what's going on out there. Don't let these politicians just run off and make these resolutions and try to pass these bills telling us what we're going to do. Keep in mind, they work for us. They, we don't work for them, okay? They need to be doing things for us. Don't follow blindly. And, and this resolution is one of those where they just, they've got a bunch of junk put in there, some really, uh, really silly things in there. 
and we need to be looking at it and put a stop to it. You know, they keep screaming and hollering about cleaning up the swamp. Guess who the biggest cleaner of that swamp can be? Us, the American people. Again, it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on. You want to clean it up? Vote them out put better people in there, put new people in there. Be informed. Okay, moving on. We'll go into the next segment here in just a minute. Bear with me, and we'll talk in just a minute. For nearly 100 years, the American Legion has been on the forefront of veterans affairs in America. From the authoring of the GI Bill, to creating thousands of jobs, to getting veterans the life-saving medical care they need, the American Legion is there for our veterans. The American Legion gives veterans like me a place to belong. They help us veterans in all aspects of life, medical, financial, and even emotional. To learn more, visit legion.org. All right, welcome back. Now we're going to our third segment here. We're going to talk about the border wall a little bit here. Um, just this week, the Ninth Circuit Court uh, attempted to halt uh, the Trump administration policy to make asylum seekers remain in Mexico. Um, it also puts on hold the policy that denies anyone uh, asylum to anyone who enters irregularly. In other words, you cross the border illegally. Uh, you're now a criminal. Okay. Uh, makes them go back in and wait in Mexico, the MPP. Uh, the two big uh, parties involved in this is the East Bay Sanctuary Covenant and the Innovation Law Lab. And the third one would be the ACLU um, filed suit through the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Of course, we know who they are. They're, they're the ones out of California that seems to always want to throw a ringer in things, throw a monkey wrench in the works. Well, they've managed to do this. Uh, it put a stop to the the uh, seekers remaining in Mexico for a temporary while uh, and denial of asylum. Now they they're still maintaining the uh, they've put a stop you know put a hold on that policy for the denial of asylum. But this morning, the DOJ granted the Customs and Border Patrol a temporary stay of the Ninth Circuit Court order for the Migrant Protection Protocols. Um, they will remain in effect. If you come through another country into Mexico to come into our United States, you will stay in Mexico until your process is completed. They're not just going to let you in. So Ninth Circuit got held up on that one. The other one for asylum has... Uh, still been held up now ninth circuit is uh, they have two bill clinton appointees on there <coughs> and uh one uh can't remember the it's a republican appointee um i can't remember exactly who it was but uh you know of course okay they is uh, Ronald Reagan was the appointee, the last appointees president to put him in there. They had William Fletcher and Richard Paez, who were both Bill Clinton appointees, sharply questioned the government lawyers on remaining in Mexico during arguments uh, October 1, and they voted to block all this. Now, Judge Fernanda, uh, Ferdinand Fernandez, who was the Ronald Reagan appointee, dissented from it. So, 
here we go. Uh, Ninth Circuit trying to uh, make law from the bench instead of judging violations of law and supporting the law that's in place. Yay, Ninth Circuit. Of course, we know what goes on in California, the sanctuary city. Whether you agree with that or not, it is law, period. There's no debate over that. Um, judges should not be defining or should not be legislating from the bench and making new law. That's not their job. It is to support and defend the law that's currently in place in the land. So Ninth Circuit really needs to change some more. Um, now in conjunction with this, where we're talking about illegal immigration and the border walls, uh, something that came down uh, not too long ago from uh, uh, Task and Purpose, which is a, uh, a respected military reporting firm. <coughs> and... Uh, from the Washington Examiner's Daily on Defense, they're talking about the uh, border wall as a succubus draining ever more of the Pentagon's budget. Now, last week I was a guest on Moving It Right um, internet TV show, and we talked about this a little bit. And um, the money that has been taken out, um, Secretary Esper has said the, it's coming from programs that they don't want. Two years ago, they made the, the argument to all of these fine legislators we've got, we don't want some of these programs. They don't work. We don't need them. They're over and above what is required by the military. Why are you forcing us? Of course, we know why they're forcing them to keep those programs, because their constituents in their home states want those lovely defense contracts that are enormous. All this money is going to their home states and to their constituents. Now, I've worked in the defense um, arena for several years uh, as working in contracts and things of that nature and uh, working at companies that get some of this money. And I'll have to be the first to admit there's a lot of waste in those contracts that the American people just do not see. Um, you have exorbitant uh, wages and things for people who do nothing. Um, you know, I'm going to oversee how this nut is put into this onto this bolt. Uh, you know, I'm a mechanic. I can do that. I don't need somebody to oversee me that's getting paid a hundred thousand dollars a year. Uh, there's a, a lot of that. That's an extreme, but that's a really silly thing. But these senators and these um, representatives are all going to fight hard to keep these contracts within their. Uh, constituency states so they're not going to give up on them on these big contracts that the military has told you I don't need it Air Force has told them the Army's told them the Navy's told them and the things they really need we can't get Congress to get the damn things you know, <coughs> there's money that needs to be reallocated to fix the equipment we currently have uh, your your soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines are all out there driving around and flying around and uh, going to see an equipment that is broke. And we either need to fix it or replace it, and we can't get that. No, we want the newest and the biggest and the finest. How about fixing what we've got right now that works? Uh, and that's what I think that, uh, in my opinion, that's what Secretary Esper is trying to tell them. I'm taking this money from these programs we don't need 
allocating it to the wall so President Trump can build the wall and we can stop those programs we don't need. Okay. Some of the, the emails and things that I've gotten, one of them made an excellent suggestion, a uh, military member, and, and I see his point and I agree with him 100%. We have National Guard and Reserve and active duty troops out there <clears throat> that their training and stuff is already paid for. And guess what? They're engineers. They are construction crews. They have the skills and the knowledge and the equipment to build this wall. And before somebody throws it in my face about the Posse Comitatus Act, that is for military intervention under a police action. Okay? Has nothing to do with putting our men and women that are currently in uniform out there and doing their jobs building this thing. Their training and their time, their salaries are already paid for. We do that with the NDAA. So it's, it's already paid for. It, to me, uh, it's ludicrous to get this additional money when we've already got people available to build the wall. Okay? Granted, I, I understand the contractors out there. They have the capability. They have all this. Great. Get them to build the segments. Bring them out to us. Let our military people put that stuff in place. Now, you have another fold in this little story here. The contractor continu can continue to build the segments, get them up, allocate more of their people to doing that. Still got to have a contract for that, but you've reduced the cost of that contract going out. So you've reduced the amount of taxpayer money that's going out to some contractor. Okay. He wants to make a living, got it. We want to make sure everybody makes a living. Let's try to cut down our costs on this thing a little bit and use common sense. Mr. President, if you ever listen, which I doubt you'll ever hear my program, but it would really be nice if you did. Uh, I'd be impressed. Um, look into using your military. Don't let your – you've got some um, higher-end generals and things in there that – they're looking out for their butt when they get out, too. They want to get that contract over there to this guy who may give him a job as a program manager or a CEO or a CFO or a COO uh, once he retires. Tell him, don't worry about that. He can look at that when he gets ready to retire. Right now, we need to look at what the money is available and how we're going to take how we're going to help the taxpayer out without spending all this ludicrous amount of money. Use your military personnel to do their job. They love doing it. That's why they went in the military to do it. <clears throat> you know, hey, guess what? I love helicopters. That's why I went in aviation. 90% of your engineers love being engineers, heavy equipment operators, vertical construction personnel, horizontal construction personnel, concrete personnel. We have those people available. We have the equipment. Hey, guess what? When you take the equipment out there and you use it, you exercise it. You keep it functional. So if anybody who's listening to me has an ear at that level, smack that earlobe a couple of times and make him listen and go, hey, why don't we use our own people to do this? That way when they do have to go to a combat zone, when they do have to go someplace and build things under a harsh condition, they've already built up their skills and they've refreshed their skills. I mean, hey, you go down to the southern border, 
it's not exactly what you call the most pleasant place in a lot of in a lot of areas of it. So let's get them let them get the training, let them build with their skills, let them refine them and hone those skills. Put them down there and let them do that and stop all this stupid bickering over well, it's posse comitatus. No, you're wrong. You better read the posse comitatus act one more time because it's not. Okay. All this bipartisan outrage over the wall. Stop it. Stop it. You're doing nothing but creating a, a television sensation for this. So, right, and that's my my opinion on it. Uh, and that's what's coming out in the stories on it. So, and we'll be right back in just one minute. During the Civil War, it was called Soldier's Heart. After World War II, they called it Gross Stress Reaction. It's been called Shell Shock, War Neurosis, and Battle Fatigue. Today, we call it post-traumatic stress disorder, and it affects one out of every five warriors returning from battle in Iraq and Afghanistan. It's not a wound that you can see, though it can have an even more significant impact. Post-traumatic stress disorder can prevent warriors from living a normal life, hurt their relationships, and affect their ability to hold a steady job. The Wounded Warrior Project offers comfort and support for warriors with post-traumatic stress disorder and all other scars of war, whether those scars are visible or hidden. Find out what you can do to help, because for warriors, the greatest casualty is being forgotten. Please visit WoundedWarriorProject.org. Right, welcome back. We'll get into the, the peace treaty that was just currently signed uh, this morning. It acknowledged a military stalemate after nearly two decades of conflict uh, when the United States uh, on Saturday morning signed a peace agreement with Taliban that is aimed at enduring, ending America's longest war and bringing U.S. troops home from Afghanistan more than 18 years after they invaded in the wake of September 11th terrorist attacks. Um, the historic deal signed by chief negotiators from the two sides was witnessed by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo could see the withdrawal of all American and allied forces in the next 14 months and allow President Trump to keep a key campaign pledge to extract the U.S. from endless wars. But it could also easily unravel, potentially, if the Taliban fail to meet their commitments. Um, of course, President Trump responded to it, you know, and told reporters the U.S. deserves credit for having helped Afghanistan take a step towards peace. And, of course, he was cautious about the deal's prospects for success and cautioned the Taliban against violating their commitments, <coughs> which has always been a, a big factor. Um, he said that we think we'll be successful in the end, referring to uh, the all-Afghan peace talks and a, a final U.S. exit. And he said he'll be meeting personally with Taliban leaders in the not-too-distant future and described the group as tired of war. Mr. President, and I hate to disagree with you on that. Um, they are a fundamentalist group. So part of their um, belief is to wage war against the infidels and to control their people by any means necessary. And they say that's what the Quran tells them. Um, of course, he didn't say where, where or why he plans to meet with Taliban leaders. He said he thinks they are serious about the deal they signed, but warned that if it fails, the U.S. could restart combat. Uh, if things go bad, we'll go back with military firepower. Um, 
Pompeo, uh, Secretary Pompeo was also cautious about the same thing, you know, stating that today we are realistic. We are seizing the best opportunity for peace in a, gener in a generation, uh, which is what he said at the Qatari capital of Doha. Uh, today we are restrained. We recognize that Ameri should, America shouldn't fight in perpetuity in the graveyard of empire if we can help Afghans forge peace. Um, now, under the agreement, the U.S. would withdraw its, for, or draw its forces down to 8,600 troops and 13 in the uh, next four, three to four months. Uh, we've got about 13,000 in there now. Uh, we're going to draw that down. <coughs> And then the remaining U.S. forces would start drawing down in 14 months. The complete pullout would depend on Taliban meeting their commitments to prevent terrorism, including specific obligations to renounce al-Qaeda and prevent that group or others from using Afghan soil to plot attacks on the U.S. or al its allies. Um, and that renouncing also requires them to stop any affiliation with ISIS. That was another thing that came out later on. You know, it sets the stage for intra-Afghan peace talks to begin around March 10th with the aim of negotiating a permanent ceasefire and a power-sharing agreement uh, between the, the rival Afghan groups. And of course, we know the Taliban was in, char was in charge of Afghanistan prior to this. And prior to our invasion, we run them out because they allowed it to be a terrorist haven. Uh, of course, they say it's perhaps the most complicated and difficult phase of the plan. It does not, however, tie America's withdrawal to any specific outcomes from all the from the all Afghan talks, according to U.S. officials. Um, Pompeo said this chapter of American history uh, on the Taliban is written in blood, and stressed that while the road ahead would be difficult, the deal represented the best opportunity for peace in a generation. Uh, there, of course, there was a parallel ceremony in Kabul where uh, U.S. Defense Secretary Mike Esper, or excuse me, Mark Esper, and Afghan President Ashraf Ghani uh, signed a joint statement committing the Afghan government to support the U.S.-Taliban deal, which was viewed skeptically by many war-weary Afghans. I mean, they've been through this before. Um, they've seen this kind of crap happen before, but they are worried, uh, particularly the women uh, in Afghanistan who fear a comeback of repression under the ultra-conservative Taliban. They didn't want m women getting educations. They didn't want them having jobs. They didn't. Basically, they were slaves to the household. Okay, there's a lot of things I learned when I was in Afghanistan about their, you know, their ultra conservative beliefs, and some of them are just insane. Um, and I won't get into some of them because some of them are just, to me, as a, uh, as an American or as a Christian or somebody that has a moral standard just totally unacceptable, but that's the way they've been for years. All right. Now, the United States has spent nearly $1 trillion in Afghanistan, two-thirds of that on defense, most of it for its own soldiers, but also for the Afghan security forces. More than 3,500 U.S. and coalition soldiers have died in Afghanistan, and more than 2,400 of them are American. You know, but the conflict was uh, has also frequently been ignored by U.S. politicians and the American public as the memory of the attacks on that crisp sunny morning faded despite having changed how many Americans see the world. So it's time for this to, to come to a close here. Uh, it should have closed a long time ago. 
Now, while Pompeo attended the ceremony in Qatar, he appeared to avoid any direct contact with the Taliban delegation. Uh, the deal was signed by U.S. Peace Envoy Zalmay Talazad and Taliban leader Mullah Abdul Ghani Baradar, who then shook hands. Uh, members of the Taliban that were there shouted Allah Akbar, or God is greatest, and the others in attendance, others in attendance including the Qatari host, just applauded quietly. So that's just a very small example of just how I don't really want to say radical because they're saying God is good, but they're different. Now, the Baradar, who was the uh, Taliban representative, said they're committed to implementing this agreement. And that he calls on all Afghans to honestly work for peace and gather around the table for peace negotiations. Now, some, ta some Taliban celebrated the deal as a victory, uh, stating that today is a day of victory, which has come with the help of Allah. Um, this was by Abbas Tanakazi, one of the Taliban's lead negotiators. Uh, okay as long as we can get it accomplished. Now, meanwhile, in, in Kabul, in a rare show of unity, Ghani set beside his chief political rival, Abdullah Abdullah, at a ceremony with escorting NATO Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg that included a declaration between the Afghan government and the United States intended to show U.S. support for Afghanistan. Um, now, the Afghani government has been deeply criticized by all of its political opponents, but include Abdullah, real job ahead would be cobbling together and negotiating things across the Taliban and the cost for us to determine the face of post-war Afghanistan. Uh, this is going to be interesting to see how if Ghani and Abdullah are going to be just as strong as they claim they are when it comes to the Taliban because the Taliban is a very imposing uh, negotiating force when they come up. They're not easily swayed for compromise. Now, <coughs> of course, they're going to hold the negotiations in Oslo, Norway. And they're expected to begin around March 10th. They've got to get them on neutral ground. Now, the Taliban have made it clear they expect the Afghan government to release their 5,000 prisoners before the start of negotiations. Uh, around that time, the Taliban are to release 1,000 government security forces that are in their custody. And until now, the government has not agreed to a prison release, which, which could unravel inter-Afghan negotiations before we get started. Uh, gentlemen, keep your stuff in place get your negotiations going first, okay? There's been a lot of good faith already done, but to release 5,000 Taliban fighters into the countryside, um, the, the war's not ended yet. Most prisoners of war are released at or right after the end of uh, fighting. So let's let's stop with the crazy crap. Now, now Secretary Esper warned that the road ahead was a long one and would not be without its challenges, so... There, this is a hopeful moment. Okay, we're beginning. Uh, there's currently 65 or 16,500 ser soldiers serving under the NATO banner, of which 8,000 are American. Germany has the next largest contingent with 1,300 troops, followed by Britain's with 1,100. Um, in all, 38 NATO countries are contributing forces to Afghanistan. So the alliance officially concluded its combat mission in 2014 and now provides training and support to Afghan forces. Um, we have a separate contingent from the U.S. There are 5,000 troops deployed to carry out counterterrorism missions and provide air and ground support to Afghan forces when it's requested. Um, 
since the start of negotiations with the Taliban, the U.S. has stepped up its air assaults on the Taliban as well as local Islamic uh, State affiliates. Uh, last year, the U.S. Air Force dropped more bombs in Afghanistan than any other year since 2013. Uh, now, seven days ago, the Taliban began a seven-day reduction of violence period, a prerequisite to the, the peace deal signing, which it did pretty good at that. It, it held up pretty good. Um, going back to uh, where were we at? Wines has officially concluded its combat mission, now provides stranger support. Um, yeah, we do that, but we're also over there still fighting. Uh, please don't let people BS you. <coughs> it makes great viewpoints on the news, but we're still fighting over there. They're still trying to kill us. So don't let them BS you. Uh, it's great that this is going to come to an end. Uh, I fully support it. However, we get to that end needs to be done to make it become to make that make that happen <coughs> so all right we'll be back in just a minute bear with us we'll come into our last segment and then my final thoughts so we'll see you in just one minute three tours driving humvees in afghanistan 12 years flying choppers when my sister came back from her last tour in Afghanistan, she didn't want to talk about it, but she knew I was there to listen. Sometimes my husband still has difficult memories. They can be overwhelming. With the Veterans Crisis Line, I know where to turn when we need support. I made the call and got support for my sister. The Veterans Crisis Line is here for all veterans and their loved ones. Call 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. All right, we're back in the last segment here. We'll talk about the uh, election 2020. Uh, we've got Super Tuesday coming up here in about two days. And it seems that a lot of focus is on the state of Alabama since there are a lot of seats and stuff there that uh, are going to be up for grabs in the state. Now, we know on Saturday in South Carolina, uh, congratulations to Vice President Joe Biden, former Vice President, Democrat, for winning there in South Carolina on that primary gives him a little bit of a boost and a bump. Uh, Bernie Sanders came in second place and then <coughs> Michael Bloomberg come in third. Now, one outstanding thing about Saturday's uh, primary out of South Carolina is that Steyer has suspended his campaign, so he will no longer be running for president. Uh, he has suspend suspended his campaign. There's no been no word as to you know who he's going to throw his support behind, <coughs> uh, who his uh, his constituents are going to uh, turn around and support. That'll be their their decision, but he hasn't made any recommendations to who they should support. So we'll we'll stand by and see what we hear on that from the Democratic side of uh, the the presidential campaigns and see what uh, Steyer has to say. Um. Again, we're coming into Super Tuesday uh, with Alabama. Uh, for some reason, I mean, the AP and a lot of your mainstream media have picked up and uh, using Alabama as a, a benchmark for some reason. Um, we do know on the Republican side, Alabama's got uh, Donald Trump, our current president. Uh, he's considered a foregone winner for the Republican side for the primary. Um, there's Governor Bill Weld, uh, who's a former Massachusetts governor, 
and a lot of the folks in Alabama are going, Bill who? Um, they, you hear nothing of him uh, within the state. <coughs> There's not that many ads that are out there for him, so he's really an unknown factor as far as the Republican side of the House. Um, now, on the Democratic side, somebody said, here comes the circus. There's 14 names for the Democratic primary on the ballot. Some of them have dropped out. We know that. But the nine primary are still on there. Um, there's very little campaigning has been done here in Alabama. Um, but the, the Dems will be in Selma, Alabama Sunday uh, for the 55th anniversary of the Bloody Sunday uh, attack by police on marchers, for the voting rights marchers that crossed the, the Pettus Bridge and was headed to Montgomery. So they'll be there for that that celebration. Um, granted, Alabama is a heavy uh, red state, conservative state. But hey, Dems, if you want to you know win something, you need to get out there and go to these states. I, I I haven't quite figured out what you're doing with all these states that you're ignoring. You're not going to. Uh, you're just blowing them off. Uh, Michael Bloomberg. Bloomberg <coughs> hasn't been to any of them except for, you know, South Carolina. Come on, guys. What are you doing? You know, even somebody like me who, you know, I don't normally vote Democrat, um, but I oh, I will if, it, it, if I see something that I like there. But I'd like to have some information. I'd like to know where you're standing. I'd like to, it, not just the sound bites I see on TV from mainstream media or um, any other media outlet, <clears throat> or your ads that you've put together to make you appear to be in your best light. I want to hear from you personally. I want to I want to see you walking around my state and around my town and uh, giving us you know, some idea of what you're all about. That even includes Bernie Sanders. Um, bring him on down. It, it, it's always interesting to talk to a uh, socialist. But anyway, you know, it... Out of the AP News uh, this morning, Saturday morning, <coughs> they start talking about it. Uh, the uh, Democratic and Republican presidential primaries are only part of a super of a crowded Super Tuesday ballot in Alabama. It includes a Senate contest, congressional races, and several others. Uh, they're talking about what to watch here in Alabama primary. And of course, they talk about Bill Trump, or uh, excuse me, President Trump who is virtually guaranteed an easy carry to easily carry the Republican primary. Um, he's popular within the states, deeply conservative GOP. He's only got one oppo opponent. And like I said, we don't hear much about Governor Bill Weld. Um, <laughs> Democratic race is another matter. You know, it's uh, Joe Biden's popularity among minority voters might carry him to a win here. Um, and he has the endorsement of the Alabama New South Coalition. But former New York Mayor uh, Michael Bloomberg could get a boost after gaining the endorsement of the Alabama Democratic Conference, which is old line black caucus of state Democratic Party. Um, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, they could benefit from stops in the state, but I'm not hearing anything at all uh, about them coming here to stop in the state of Alabama. <coughs> you know, nine other candidates are on the ballot including Amy Klobuchar and Tom Steyer. Um, 
plus all those that have already suspended their presidential campaigns. Um, and as we know, um, Steyer has already suspended his his campaign, so I don't anticipate seeing him here unless it's to, you know, throw his support behind another uh, another candidate on the Democratic ticket. Um, now, in the U.S. Senate race here in Alabama, this will be an inter interesting one because you've got a crowd of Republican field challenging, uh, competing for the right to challenge uh, Democrat uh, Doug Jones in November. Now, um, of course, we have Attorney General Sess uh, former Attorney General Jeff Sessions <coughs> is attempting to win back the seat he held for 20 years. But he faces opposition, uh, opposition from uh, former Auburn coach Tommy Tuberville and a current U.S. Representative uh, Bradley Byron and former Chief Justice Roy Moore. Now, Roy Moore, as we all know, has a rather colored and checkered past, um, even a most recent checkered past. So I don't see him making that, and there hasn't been a whole lot of um, uh, branches being rattled here uh, about Roy Moore. <coughs> now, I've also got State Representative uh, Arnold Mooney and businessman Stanley Adair and Ruth Page Nelson are also on the ballot. Those names are not that well known. They are probably in their local areas, but as far as statewide recognition, it's not there. Um, <coughs> for the most part, the pundits and your polls are showing you know, Jeff Sessions at the top of it, um, closely followed by uh, Tommy Tuberville and Bradley Byrne. For the most part, Tuberville and Byrne are uh, back and forth, but uh, Jeff Sessions does stand out. Uh, of course, unless you know they capture more than 50% of the vote, you know it'll head into a runoff between the top two finishers for um, that particular Senate race. Now, um, Jones is a one-time uh, one-time prosecutor and the only Democrat to hold statewide office, and he doesn't face any opposition in his primary, so he's gonna he's gonna take his primary without even trying. Um, there's two open congressional seats in South Alabama. Uh, incumbent faces primary competition in the Tennessee Valley of North Alabama, which is where I'm located. Um, <coughs> so there's a lot of stuff going on here. A lot of changes could be made. Um, and we could possibly eliminate, you know, just about eliminate anything with the Democrats here in, in Alabama again and make it an entirely blue state. But we'll see how that goes. We'll keep track on it. Um, we'll watch closely on the rest of the races. Um, the debates that we've had currently for the Democratic Party haven't meant a whole lot to a lot of people, uh, other than a lot of a lot of embarrassment. So <coughs> we'll we'll keep tracking on it. Um, we'll have a special edition of View from the Military Mind on Tuesday evening as the polls start to close. Uh, across the South, where all the states are coming up, and we'll, as uh, those results come out, we'll try to get those, and we'll make our commentary on what we see in that time period. So, hang hang tight with me here for a minute. We'll go in, and we'll have our this day in history, and we'll have uh, my final thoughts. So we'll be right back. You serve surrounded by brothers and sisters, but it doesn't stop there. 
their mission continues. We are the VFW, and as the nation's largest combat veterans organization, we're fighting for our brothers and sisters every day. From Capitol Hill to our own communities, join us in the fight for veterans, service members, and their families. We are the voice for veterans everywhere, and together we cannot be ignored. Learn more at VFW.org. All right, we're back. And on this day in history, in 1796, the Jay Treaty between the United States and Great Britain comes into force, facilitating 10 years of peaceful trade between the two nations. 1864, the Civil War, which Kilpatrick Dahlgren raid fails, plans to free 15,000 Union soldiers being held near Richmond, Virginia, is thwarted. In 1916, child labor in South Carolina, the minimum working age for factory mill and mine workers is raised from 12 to 14 years old. Boy, youngins are you be, had to be glad about that one. <coughs> In 1940, the 12th Academy Awards, for her performance as Manny in Gone with the Wind, Patty McDaniel becomes the first African-American to win an Academy Award. Also in 1940 on this day, in a ceremony held in Berkeley, California, because of the war, physicist Ernest Lawrence receives the 1939 Nobel Peace, the Nobel Prize in Physics, from Sweden's Council General in San Francisco. 1944, World War II, the Admiralty Islands are invaded in Operation Brewer, led by American General Douglas MacArthur. 1972, Vietnam War, Vietnamization, South Korea withdraws 11,000 of its 48,000 troops from Vietnam. And in 1980, Gordy Howe of the Hartford Whalers makes NHL history as he scores his 800th goal. And 2004... Jean-Bertrand Aristide is removed as president of Haiti following the coup. On this day in 2008, the United Kingdom's Ministry of Defense decides to withdraw Prince Harry from a tour of Afghanistan immediately after a leak led to his deployment being reported by foreign media. In 2008, Misha Donfaseka admits to fabricating her memoir, Misha, A Memoir of the Holocaust, in which she claimed to have lived with a pack of wolves in the woods during the Holocaust. And finally, on this day in 2012, the Tokyo Sky Tree construction is completed. It is the tallest tower in the world at 634 meters high and the second tallest artificial structure on Earth next to the, next to the Burj Khalifa. All right, and that's on this day in history, February 29th. And it's a leap year day. It's all kinds of stories that go with that. We'll let somebody else explain all that. All right, and in my final thoughts, you know, it, it's circus time in America, folks, and we know that. The presidential election and all of its various actors and clowns, uh, that's on both sides of the aisle, Republican and Democrat. It doesn't matter. And every time I hear one of these individuals speak, I cringe with disappointment. I think about what they're doing and what they're talking about. They appear and pretend to have our best interests at heart. Uh, they will tell you what they need to say to win the vote. <coughs> and as we've seen in the past decades, they still don't do what we ask them to do, uh, especially if they're career politicians. <coughs> they
they've got their their boards waxed and ready to surf on into that that comfy little seat in that office in there and relax and accuse the opposing party of not wanting to to help them out and to do what's good for the American people. And again, like I said, this is on both sides of the aisle, whether you're left, right, red, blue, liberal, conservative, independent, libertarian, how, however you want to put your ilk. These people we have in Washington right now are just, they're nothing but going to a show. It's, it's so embarrassing that I don't think P.T. Barnum would even want one of them in the in one of his rings, he'd be afraid of the bloodshed. Um, and he had clowns for entertainment. We've got clowns for politicians. And this is one show I don't want to be the ringmaster of. <coughs> you know, for a long time, I used to tell people, and they'd come up to me and say, you know, hey, you know, did you see what this politician did, or did you see what this one said, and or how this one interfered with this. And I just look at them and say, hey, not my circus, not my monkeys. But you know what? It is my circus. It is my monkeys. These are the people that I, as an American, by that right that's granted to me by those who have fought and died for our, our freedoms and for our rights, it's my right and my responsibility to go in there and participate in the elections to see if I can clean up that three-ring circus, to see if I can clean up that show. And for you who listen out there, it's the same thing. It's your responsibility to exercise your right to vote. You know, we heard through the 2016 election cycle about cleaning up the swamp. We hear it again here in the 2020 election cycle. I want to clean up the swamp. And it... It doesn't matter who said it, so forget all that bias uh, mess. <coughs> it doesn't matter what party they are. All of them are saying it. I can go through and find you a bunch of sound bites. I won't even give you a number, just a, a bunch of sound bites of every single politician out there running says they want to clean up the swamp. Well, guess what? As an American, the American people have that skill and ability to clean that swamp up. It's called by our vote to put a stop to it. You know, we can do the best thing of cleaning. We can do the best cleaning job on the swamp than our politicians can. Our politicians... Our representatives up there are going to do what they need to do to protect themselves and their job. They're going to be in there as long as they can to gain as much as they can out of it. We need to put a stop to it. No matter what party we are, no matter what the what our viewpoints are, both sides of our our house needs to be cleaned up with a very big broom. It also needs to clean up the media. I mean, they think because they're the press, you know, the news, the media, they're the end all. You know, they have all the information. Well, no, they don't. And what they do have, and this is mainstream media, uh, cable media, whatever you want to call it, 
they all have their own storylines to make sure they're protected, to make sure they've got what they want out of it. They are an indoctrination service. And our our new folks, as they grow older, <coughs> and a lot of the older folks are indoctrinated by the media outlets. I've gotten to the point now where I don't trust all the media we used to trust. We used to be able to trust AP, and we used to be able to trust CBS and NBC because they were there as true journalists. Now they're mouthpieces for whatever particular party they align themselves with, and that's not good. Our newspapers are outlandish. Just this week, the New York Times did something I never in my life of almost 60 years thought I would hear out of one of the what used to be one of the most respected publications in the world. And the gray lady decides to let a Taliban leader, a known terrorist, write an op-ed titled What We, the Taliban, Want. Guess what? I don't care what the Taliban wants. <clears throat> You're not of my concern, nor are you part of my country. What you want, you need to address within your country, not in mine. And New York Times, you need to be held accountable for doing something like this. Yes, I know everybody's entitled to their opinion, but not somebody from another country, not a terrorist, not a known killer of the Americans, of American people, of American soldiers and airmen, sailors, and Marines. This man has no right in my country. He's not a U.S. citizen. He's not part of my country. He has no right. You know, and another thing that's coming up in the media, the Russia hoax. Here we go again. Never been any proof of it <coughs> the first time. Now they get a, a big battle going on this week with your intelligence agencies. They give a briefing. What we find out is totally twisted, spun, and we look like the fools because we're supposed to believe them. And in turn, those that we elect, they make them look like fools because, well, we didn't say that. We need to get back the integrity in this country. And we, the people, need to clean up that swamp. We, the people, need to put a stop to the BS that's coming out of our media, whether it be print, television, or radio. We need to put a stop to it. <coughs> if we continue letting people do things for us, and we don't have an active hand in what we're doing, we're the ones going to be, we're going to be slaves to the media, to the politicians. Hell, we almost are now, for the most part. And it's unacceptable. The Civil War, part of its response, part of its reason it was fought, not the primary, if you study history properly, 
not the primary, but one of the reasons the Civil War was fought was to end slavery. And our African-American citizens have continued to fight to get a better, better life for themselves. That's great. But now we're getting to the point where everyone, black, white, yellow, brown, are becoming slaves to a group of politicians and a heavy-handed media that wants to try to indoctrinate us, take our morality, take our religion, take everything away from us, and do it the way they want us to do it. We, the American people, need to put a stop to it. We're the ones that can clean the swamp. We have the bigger broom. It's called our vote. And if you tell me that, well, in a presidential election it doesn't count, yes, it does. It counts very much so. How do you think those electoral college delegates are, at, are uh, allocated? At some point, read. Learn about how things are done. Learn how the electrical co electoral college works. Learn how your vote counts. And stop letting other people do your job. All right? Start being American citizens. Well, that's all I have for now. I look forward to seeing you soon. Like I said, Tuesday, we'll be back um, for a special show of View from Military Mind. Uh, we're going to give you our insights on what we see coming out of the Super Tuesday elections on Tuesday evening, which means most of you are here on Wednesday morning. Uh, I am not mainstream media, so I don't, I can't keep up with things like they do. Um, I'd like to be live for it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I do have to. I, I've got a life, and I do have to make a living. So, but if you'd like to contact View from a Military Mind, by all means, go to our Facebook page. Uh, join our Facebook group where you can interact with me direct live. Um, you can go on our website, viewfromamilitarymind.com. And if you want to uh, share some commentary with me or share an idea for a story or a, uh, a show, by all means, you can send me an email at vfamm2020 at gmail.com. That's vfamm2020 at gmail.com. For you military types, that's Victor, Fox, Alpha, Mike, Mike, 2020 at gmail.com. Send it to me. I'll look forward to hearing from you. Uh, pass it on to your friends, neighbors. You may not like everything I say, but I invite you to come in and be part of the conversation. So until next time, Godspeed, be safe, and God bless America.